Hello, podcast listener. The App Guy podcast. Every Sunday and Thursdays. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul the App Guy. Yes, welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, I'm Paul Kemp, and it's my job tonight to take you on a journey, a journey for all of you listening, app developers, uh, whoever you may be in the technology world. This is a podcast that intends to go through and uh, talk about the big issues, uh, not just, just apps and app development, but everything surrounding the technology that we devote our lives to. And so thank you for joining me on this episode tonight. Um, this is going to be a slightly different format to the episodes that you would have heard on uh, the App Guy podcast in the previous uh, episodes. And that's because I've got a repeat guest on. Um, this, this guy was so good the first time around, just had to get him back on. Uh, his name is Tim Duckett. And if you go and check out episode 21, uh, you'll hear Tim's story and the usual format for the App Guy podcast. But um, during that discussion with Tim in episode 21, I kind of touched on jokingly uh, the fact that he had a rant about a couple of things. And I said, we've got to get you back on, Tim. And, and I just wanted to get to get this episode um, out and and so Tim, just to remind you, is an author of uh, Pro iOS Table Views for iPhone, iPad, and iTouch. A terrific developer, someone who's uh, currently just moved to go and live in Zurich. Uh, he's decided to leave the shores of the UK, although you are British, I believe, Tim. So, uh, And you're working in Zurich. And, and listen, we're thrilled to have you on. Thanks for joining the App Guy podcast. And uh, I wanted to kick this thing off with... Um, I guess a, a, our first topic, which we're going to just see where this goes, and uh, it's a bit of a free-flowing, uh, casual chat tonight, and see see where we end up. But I know you've got some great views about some various uh, things that involve technology and the bigger picture. So let's talk about the big picture in terms of the conversations that society should really be having about the way where technology is is taking us, and. And, and do you have a view of, uh, I guess, society and the, the things that we need to decide about in regards to values, ethics, code of conduct with technology? You know, what, what are your views on uh, the, the future of technology and, and where it's really taking us? Well, I think the interesting thing is we always look at this as being somehow completely positive. Um, Things get faster, things get smaller, and we see that as being a, as being a good thing. And you know, there's no there's no doubt that the technolo- technological improvements have a lot to, to to benefit us as a species. But then I think we, we're starting to get to a point now where perhaps the the flip side of that is becoming apparent um, with. The, the whole um, NSA scandal um, that, that's blown up in the last 12 months, you know, suddenly we're starting to see the the possibilities for the negative side of this. You know, there's this there's, there's, um, situation where we, we find ourselves that we've built this layer of ubiquitous surveillance into our lives. 
And it happens to us in very, very subtle ways. It creeps up on us. It's not something that, that suddenly announces itself overnight and, and one day it's there and one day it isn't. It's something that, that happens very subtly over, over an extended period of time. And before we know it, it's here before we've really noticed it. Um, so it's, it's really a case of, you know, I think, I think we've got to look at, at, at both sides of this. It's, it, Sure, there's lots of positives to be had, but equally there are some, some really quite startling negatives starting to Yeah, well, I would say welcome to the NSA. For, I'm sure they'll be listening to this, and we're, <laughs> we're thrilled that you could come and join such an interesting debate. Uh, I'm sure that's going to really help you. But, you know, okay, so I just have to warn you that my um, view at the moment is slightly warped because I'm going through The House of Cards Season 2 on Netflix, and uh, oh. they are... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pure fiction, but they're playing around with the Snowden-type character and the hacker, and uh, I'm sure it's going to uh, completely warp my sense of what's reality and what's not. But let's, let's take the NSA as an example. I mean, here it is, you know, a government um, supposedly of the free world, and they are openly using the PRISM network or the, the, the PRISM program to spy on all of us, uh, whether we are uh, U.S. citizens or uh, foreigners, and and... Do you think this is um, a people, they don't seem to be giving up technology because of this. They just seem to be a little bit upset, but um, it's kind of, I guess, something that's taken as, a, as, as really, you know, the usual thing now. How can we, how can we really, should the NSA be spying on us? Should we just accept that? Should we try and fight back? What, what are your views on that? Well, it's it's um, it, it's a difficult one because on the one hand, um, you know, it, I, I'm sure that if you were to to look at the individuals involved, they would be doing this with the best of intentions. Um, you know, I'm not sure too many people um, go out of their way to be actively evil in in the way that they in the way that they behave. Um, it, it's not so much. The individuals, but it's the it's the overall picture. If you you start to add this together, what what um, what kind of end result do you get? Um, there's a balance thing. On the one hand, yes, there are people um, in the world trying to do nasty things to us, nasty things to the rest of us. Um, but at what point do you do you, do you um, at what point do you do you make that balance? At what point do you look at something and say, actually, the the costs outweigh the benefits? And the thing about the, the the thing about the NSA, the thing about the, the whole surveillance culture um, debate, yes, as an individual, it's probably vanishingly unlikely that they're listening to you right now. Although, obviously, you know, having mentioned the phrase NSA, the the, 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 the recording as we speak, because um, we're doing this over Skype and they can listen in. Um, the chances of that actually happening are vanishingly small. The the thing that interests me is what happens if if you know that you're that there's the potential that you're being listened to, and if you know that that's likely to happen, does that start to modify your behaviour in any way? Um, well, yeah, I think it. I mean, I'm just now listening to you, and we have mentioned the NSA, and I'm almost thinking maybe I should I regret saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it probably does, doesn't it? It probably it does feel a little bit weird knowing that um, that people could be listening into our private conversations, our private communications, you know, using this technology that we've become so reliant on. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't remember who it was who said, who, who came out with a phrase, but um, there's a, there's a saying that give me, um, 
give me five lines that, that any person's written and I'll, I'll, I'll find something in there enough to hang a man. Um, I think it was possibly Cardinal Wolsey or one of the, the sort of the Elizabethan um, spy masters. I, I forget exactly who it was. But there's something in that. You know, if, if, you take, um, if, if you take anything out of context, you can twist it um, to make it sound really, um, you know, any way that you want it to. And tabloid journalism is, is, is based on that foundations. So if everything you ever say is being recorded and with the technology we've got, that, that's a distinct possibility. You know, um, digital storage is, is incrementally um, cheaper by the year, so it, it, it just becomes easier and easier to store everything. If everything you say is being stored, if everything you've ever written um, has been recorded, then eventually you're going to find something in there that could be turned turned around and, and, and turned against you. So at that point, it becomes it's this chilling effect. Um, if if that's in the back of your mind constantly, what effect does that have on what effect does that have on us as a society? What effect does that have on us as a collection of individuals? Well, that's something I also wanted to talk to you about was uh, big data and the fact that these uh, companies now are um, in this very powerful position of collecting such big data. And what happens to that data when it's sold back to third parties? Um, for example, um, the, you know, you, if you data mine, as you say, you can put these unlikely correlations together. Um, the example I like to use is that this, is, this has no, I, I don't know if this is valid, but this is an example I heard recently that perhaps, you know, if you had enough data, you could say something along the lines of um, drivers with ginger hair have more uh, accidents than <laughs> drivers without ginger hair. And so uh, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that it's the correlations that are just um, as a result of such huge big data. And then, you know, imagine insurance companies buying that, then penalizing anyone with ginger hair. Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's, I mean, it, 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 the, the, the possibilities are endless. I, mean, I remember... Um, Several years ago, as a sort of joke Christmas present, I bought my brother a mankini um, on Amazon and made the fatal mistake of using my Amazon account to buy this, which then, of course, immediately skewed my, my recommended. I mean, I don't recommend this, by the way. Um, if, you, if you want to completely screw up your Amazon recommendation, then buying something like a mankini as a joke Christmas present is a great way to go do it. Um, you know, there, there, there's a great example. It's something that's completely random. It's, it's sort of totally unrelated to um, anything else that I've ever done. And yet it has this knock-on effect. For months afterwards, I, get, I was getting the most bizarre recommendations as a result of this. So there's an example of when the algorithms go horribly wrong. But like you say, if you start to um, if you start to probe into these things, I mean, for example, if you start to take big data um, techniques and crunch people's medical records through them, that's when it really starts to get frightening because then you're, you're able to pinpoint the likelihood of somebody suffering from a particular you know condition at some point of their lives. Um, if you're an insurance company, um, you you're, you you know you're going to deny them cover. Is that ethical? Yeah, let's talk about uh, Google as well and um, the fact that you know Google are going out and buying, um, uh, they bought at Nest recently, I think that just uh, was finalized uh, mm -hmm. most recently. So effectively they know when you're home 
and they start, you know, they've bought some robotics uh, arm. We, we don't quite sure what's, what's going on there. <laughs> we know that there's predictions that they are bringing out some kind of a medical device. Maybe Apple are going to be bringing out some iWatch that uh, can monitor your health. We know Google are doing some, uh, uh, I think they're contact lenses where, you know, they will be able to tell um, various uh, medical uh, things. For, and so Google are going to have all these, um, these inputs uh, with regards to your health and fitness and your your activity, they kind of have that now already, I guess. They're tracking where you go and how, how often you exercise. I mean, that, that data is going to be very, uh, I guess, attractive to insurance companies who are insuring your life. Yeah, so Absolutely. And I, I think it's only a matter of time before we see the first big scandals coming out uh, as a result of, of, of big data mining. Um, you know, if you can build up such a such a detailed picture of people's lives, um, it must be an irresistible temptation to you know the tabloid journalists, for example. You know, if you, if you if you figured that you can you can mash up somebody's phone records with their um, you know, their, their their Oyster card or their um, you know pay as you go train tickets and so on, you can, you can get this insight into people's lives, which. I think it's actually, in, in one sense, it's very useful in that it allows me as an individual to do lots of clever things with my life that I would never be able to previously do. But the flip side of that, in the wrong hands, it could be absolutely terrifying. Um, so the, this idea that we are no longer anonymous and the things that we use for the sake of convenience could turn around and bite us later, I, I think that's... But perhaps we've, 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 we've really not had that debate as a society yet. We've really not decided where the boundaries are, what's acceptable, what isn't yet. Yeah, I mean, there's the subject of wearables, and I know I wanted to bring up uh, Google Glass, um, because wearables, are, I guess, are going to be a big thing in 2014, and we've already seen Google release um, a developer version of Google Glass, and, and so more people are walking around with these uh, these glasses that uh, record, and, and then you know, what's, there's been no debate about the, the ethics of those. For example, you know, should you walk into a, a men's toilet? Uh, <laughs> or if you're a woman, you know, a woman's toilet, wearing those things. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, I mean, yeah, the, these are, the, the, these are uh, sort of moral and ethical conundrums that we, we just haven't really got the, 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 the tools to look at yet. It's... Um, but just in, in a sort of everyday scenario, you know, if I if there's a possibility that I'm being recorded by by somebody that I'm talking to, you know, is, is that going to change the way I interact with them? Is is that going to change the way that 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 I that I treat them if I think that um, what what I'm saying is is being recorded? I don't know. I sit in front of a, a screen every day with a webcam in it. Um, and I take it on trust that the, the camera is only active when I can see the, um, the LED lit, lit up. I, it's been suggested that the NSA has found a way of hacking this so that they can turn the video camera on without you being aware of it. Um, so am I being watched? D- does that change my behavior? Is it like, you know, going to, going to sit there pulling strange faces at the monitor and, and occasionally sort of, you know, dare I say, picking my nose or something? Is it, it, where, does, where does it end? Where, where, where do you, where do you, what, what level of privacy can you expect in today's world? Is it, and is, is there any point where we can, we can definitively say this is public, this is private? Yeah, I guess we, we just can't give up the technology. I mean, there's no way 
Uh, it would take a lot for me to uh, give up my Mac, give up my iPhone, give up my iPad, uh, all the technology around the house. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine going back to life like it was in the 80s. <laughs> Just, um, but that's probably what it would take, I guess. Um, well, I don't know. What, what would it take? You know, what, what, would be, what would be the event that would make you look at the technology in your life and say, actually, it's gone too far? See, I'm just wondering why, why is it there's a distrust of uh, governments getting involved with this data? But, you know, their argument is, well, we're giving this data up anyway to the likes of Apple and Google and all these big uh, companies. My argument there, I guess, is that we, the reason we do that is because they provide us with very useful services that we end up adopting and we, we end up uh, being unable to live without. Uh, whereas the government... Uh, I guess don't go in with those kinds of intentions. Maybe not, but I, I mean the, the argument from their side would be that we're we're keeping you safe, we're protecting you. Um, although, of course, it's it's I I don't know. We I, I get increasingly sceptical about you know we've we've you you hear these stories of oh if it wasn't for you know insert controversy here um, you'd have been blown up years ago. You know we've 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 foiled this many plots and and, and so on and so forth. Um, it's impossible to verify. Um, it's impossible to know whether that's the truth, exaggeration, an underestimate, whatever it is. Um, there's always the, the there's a, the faint suspicion that if somebody is, is is trying to, you know, you win the argument towards using a particular technology, naturally they're going to to exaggerate in in, in favour of their, their their chosen end position. Um, it, it's uh, it, I, I'm just not sure we've got the, the I'm not sure we've got the tools to really understand what the balance should be right now. Yeah, I just wonder, you know, I wonder how safe we actually are being kept for you know by these agencies that act on our behalf, the people, or you know the amount of propaganda that perhaps goes through the uh, media and. You know, I mean, if you take um, Sochi and the Winter Olympics and just before that, if you listen to any uh, news, in particular the American news channels, I mean, it was just accusations of, of plots and, uh, and there was going to be, you know, these big events and uh, um, we're all in danger. And, and there was some mm -hmm. terrible story of, you know, like hacking and your stuff getting hacked, ironically, if you go to Russia. Uh, obviously, the Americans got it in for the Russians. But, uh, you know, obviously none of that came about and it was a, it was a very well-hosted event and uh, it was all safe. And, and yet, you know, the media seems to be playing up to the agencies trying to scare us all the time. Is, is there a, do you think, feel there's any argument in that? Well, I mean, good news doesn't sell newspapers. Um, good news doesn't get um, eyeball views on, on, on sites. It, it's everything is okay, don't worry, is a really poor headline if you're trying to attract people to, to, to read your site, to, to visit your site and, and get your get your ad views up. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm slightly sceptical that things are quite as dramatically bad as the, the, the authorities would have us believe. Um, you know, no doubt there are people trying to do nasty things to us. Um, you could equally turn the argument around and say, well, that's because we do nasty things to, to people. Um, you know, given that we 
have a habit of, of obliterating villages in, in isolated parts of the world with drones, you know, do we have the moral high ground anymore? I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know. It's, you, you could you could argue it you could argue it both ways, but the interesting thing the, the thing that interests me is that at the same time as governments have this sort of power um, this, this power that they've never had before to to look into our lives, at the same time we as citizens also have a much much increased power than we ever had before because the means of publication are much more democratic. You know, I can. I can I, I can take a picture, I can upload it with a cell phone, it can go half around the world um, in a matter of seconds. That was something that would never, ever have been possible uh, 20 years ago. So at the same time as the technologies enabled surveillance, the technologies enabled uh, the tools of mass democracy in a way that, that, that never existed previously. You know, the fact that we can look at cell phone videos from the Ukraine and see what's going on live. Previously, we'd, we'd have had to rely on the official versions. We'd have had to rely on the broadcast news channels to show us this sort of very selective view of what was happening. So it's, it, it swings in roundabouts. It's, it's power on one side and it's power on the other as well. So with all this technology, why are we still getting such misinformation about what's going on in the world? Because it just seems like all this link baiting by you know, the big organisations, the big media companies. It, it's incredible when you read a lot of these, these headlines um, you know how they, there is, I guess, what I refer to as what generally is known as link baiting, and you know, is that just? I mean, is that playing to um, increase the just the traffic to the website to sell more ads? What's that all about? I, I guess so. Um, I guess so. I mean, I, the, <laughs> I don't know. The volume of news hasn't increased. It's just that the the amount of space that's, that's there to fill has, you know, twenty four hour rolling news networks and and um, link baiting sites. Yeah, it's it's the the, the typical sort of um, it's the ten things you need to look at to do X kind of kind of headlines. Mm. It's um, it, it's just uh, it, it's. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But then again, it, it's you know, has, has anything changed when I mean, you look at some of the um, some of the scandalous things that were printed in in broadsheets in the eighteenth century? Um, you know, the, the the scandal sheets that, that that came out in those times. I'm not sure anything's really changed that much. You know, a scandal sheet from the eighteenth century versus the Register. Um, there's actually so many parallels. It's, it's uh, right. not, not a lot. Is so we don't really change. Yeah, technology may come and help us, but we just we don't change as a as a human as a species. You mentioned drones. Um, drones are becoming uh, easier to come by um, for us, us citizens. And um, what happens? Uh, I mean. Should we be scared of this proliferation of drones? What happens if one accidentally kills somebody who's at fault? And what are your view on, on drones as, t- as a technology? Well, it's it's not so much the technology; it's what we do with it, isn't it? It's um, there's an interesting moral argument that if you're sat thousands of miles away from the scene of combat and you you can obliterate an entire village with a press of a button, you know what does that do to you as a person? Um, the, the the thing that's going to interest me is when these, as miniaturisation takes place, when they get to the point where these things are ubiquitous and almost invisible. Um, what what does that happen? I mean, we saw the um, 
few a few months ago, the, the, the story about Amazon, their delivery by drone, and everybody laughed at that because actually right now it's not all that practical. But once we get to that point, once we get to that point where this is a, a, a technology that's that, that's robust enough to to use on a daily basis. Um, Is that going to have the the same kind of transformative effect as a society, say, the mobile phone has? Um, The idea that you can be anywhere on the face of the planet at any time and still be in contact, that's pretty profound. If you take that argument and you apply it to, to, to drones, what happens then? Yeah, I can see a lot of good in drones. I mean, I watched a TED conference, I believe a video on, on the TED app, and uh, they were delivering medicine uh, in some parts of Africa because the roads were too uh, atro- atrocious to, to get through with vehicles. And they could deliver these, uh, there's a network of uh, drones that go out and deliver these medicines. I think it's in beta stage right now, but I mean, that, that's incredibly good and incredibly useful for mankind. The fact that we can get medicine to um, those that need it in, in a timely manner. Um, in, in poorer parts of the world um, and and also just uh, I think there was a, a video a YouTube video recently of um, a severely handicapped um, person who was using a drone to fly around his house and to fly down the street and he would have um, I guess Google Glass or something on him, on him that would would follow this drone and it just gave him immense freedom from, from his uh, wheelchair so now, that's a fascinating idea. Yes, that, that's that's really interesting. Where could you where could you take that? Um, where could what you do if you sort of follow through the um, join the dots the technology um, where that takes you? But again, this this comes back to the idea that for every for every negative of a technology, there's also a corresponding flip side. Um, there's also a corresponding positive. So you know, there's an example of something. I mean, drone has, I think just the word has a negative connotation about it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not a particularly positive word to begin with. Um, yeah, let's pick up on that because, um, you know, if you think about, uh, I guess, genetic, genetically modified food and, and how the press really jumped on that and, and it, they called it the Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was such negative press around it and I'm sure that had an impact on its, um, you know, its adoption. And I do look at the media and just feel that they're jumping on this new technology and it's scary. They're coming up with all the, you know, the scare stories and, and it's possibly going to um, impede the growth of, of, you know, what ultimately is going to be good. I mean, for example, 3D printers. Do you remember when we had those stories about, are oh, they being used to print guns? Oh. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. If, if only it um, wasn't quite as true as as the the headlines would have you believe um but yeah again it goes back to this idea that that you know bad news sells more newspapers than good news um you know everybody likes to, to, to be scared with a headline rather than rather than reassured um that's an interesting one i mean you mentioned genetically modified um organisms i mean the interesting thing there is, is not so much the, the concept of, of genetic modification to start with. Um, what happens when it's picked up by big multinational corporations who then start to lock, um, lock agriculture into uh, sort of all kinds of contractual agreements about 
uh, not being able to replant, for example. Um, I mean, I, I believe that there is a, the, the very popular variety of wheat, which is effectively sterile. You can sort of, you can plant it for one year, but then you've got to go back to Monsanto or it is who develops it and then buy it again and again and again. And they sort of lock you into this. So it, it's, in and of itself, there's some positive there. You know, anything that yields better, requires um, you know, less herbicides, is more drought resistant. You know, that's going to be a positive thing. But at the same time, there are organisations who see that there's a profit incentive there and just go that one stage further, just sort of tip over that, the line from um, altruistic to, 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 to creepy or evil. Yeah, what is creepy? Let's try and figure that one out because I'm sure what we're doing nowadays would have been perceived as being really creepy, you know, to us 10 years ago. And yet it seems like we've moved forward and maybe some of our values and principles have changed. But what is creepy? Have you got a definition of what, what is creepy in terms of technology? Um, maybe... That's a difficult one. Maybe something that I can't control, something that I can't turn off. Um, the, uh, well, that's Google. I, so that's Google now. I mean, that's already out with a phone where you just sits on the side and you say, "Okay, Google," and then it's listening to you. And it, and it, it's, right. G- Google's an interesting example because there, um, I, I find the whole Google search, Google Plus, Google Now thing just so bewilderingly complex. Um, that I don't know what it's tracking, I don't know what kind of history it's recording, I don't know who, who can see it, who can do what with it. Um, so to an extent, I kind of almost give up in disgust and, and just let it do its thing. It, it's, it's too hard to keep track of. Now, I wonder in my more cynical moments if that's not by design. You know, something is so complicated to figure out that eventually people will just give up, give up trying to figure it out and go with the defaults, which obviously is, is, is what Google are trying to trying to get you to do. That to me, that crosses the creepy boundary. But at the same time, I'm getting something useful from it. I'm getting better search results. You know, I'm getting targeted ads. There's a positive side. It's it's a, <laughs> it's very difficult to uh, it's very difficult to draw that line because one person's what you know what's creepy for me might be perfectly acceptable for you. Yeah, I just wondered if Google are becoming too powerful in our lives, given that all the, the things that are, are now part of, of Google and, and you know, how they've just beyond they've gone beyond search to to all these other parts. Right. So so maybe the definition of something that's too powerful is when they become a verb. You know, because we don't we don't talk about searching anymore. We talk about we talk about googling. Maybe that's the definition. It's um, I don't know. People talk about hoovering. Yeah, I was thinking of hoovering, but I just want to shut my age too much. That, <laughs> yeah. Does that imply at some point that you know Hoover the, the Hoover the company Hoover the organisation became evil? Yeah, yeah. I, I, they are becoming very powerful as an organisation, and you know, almost having a the slogan of "Don't be evil." kind of insp- <laughs> makes you wonder. Um, but, I mean, I, I love Google. I've always um, I've been a big fan of Google. And, um, but, you know, they have ultimate power over a lot of uh, people's businesses. You know, I've known people that have uh, been Google slapped with their business, their websites and lost money. And so they, they have ultimate power. And I just wondered if, uh, th- you know, we should be worried that they, they perhaps have, have gone beyond a, a certain size where, where the... Well, 
There's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it, of course, it's not just Google either. It's, it's Apple has exactly the same sort of power over you if you're an app developer. Um, lots of people are working purely with Apple as the platform. You know, if, you're, if you, you specialise in iOS, um, Apple can pull you from the store at a moment's notice and without any explanation. Uh, is, is that power that we, we, we would be completely comfortable with if we, if we sort of sat down and thought about it rationally? I'm not sure. Yeah, I just wondered if Apple have become a little bit friendlier with their developers. I know um, they had uh, a lot of criticism early on in, in iOS uh, when, when the iPhone came out that they weren't be, being particularly nice to developers. I mean, but I've, I've just, just this last week, I had an app rejected um, for some uh, analytical, I think analytics um, module that I was using um, which I, I've had about 50 apps approved and then one, the first one, this one got rejected and uh, it was nothing really that I did wrong. Um, it was, um, I believe, Flurry, the analytics company, they, they had something in their mo- module, but uh, it just shows you then. So I had to go back to my, you know, like my joint venture partner and we had to like discuss about <laughs> whether, you know, what we had to do to change. And, and yeah, you're right. They do have so much power over us as app developers. And I just wondered if that's a healthy thing. Right, because they can move the goalpost arbitrarily. Um, if 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 you're, I guess if you're in, your, in their good books, that's fine. But there, there are very little, very few checks and balances. If for whatever reason they turn around and decide that perhaps you're 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 longer um, playing by their rules, um, I suppose it makes sense if 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 the rules are transparent. If if we if we all know where we stand. Um, I think the interesting thing about Apple is the way that they, they sometimes, in the original set of App Store guidelines, they were quite deliberate in saying that these aren't hard and fast and that there are sort of areas of grey around the, the criteria that we'll use. I think that's, 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 that's fine. At least it's, it's, they're open and honest about it. The best one I ever heard, I think, was the, um, the, the, the Flickr guidelines back in the day, um, I mean, Flickr itself has been around for ten years now, which makes me feel really old. Uh, but back in the day, their sort of their, their guidelines about community behaviour was basically it was expressed in a single sentence, which was basically "Don't be that guy." And <laughs> that's just such a powerful way of expressing what is a really complicated and and all the shades of grey and nuances go into into determining what what is acceptable behaviour and what isn't. You know, I, I think just to be able to turn it round into into something that's that short and sweet is is really something of an achievement. Maybe, maybe that's some. Um, maybe we should have more of that. Maybe maybe uh, more guidelines should just be look. You know, just be someone that you'd want to live next door to. And, you know, this is the App Guy podcast. I mean, we have talked about technology on a broad subject. In regards to apps in particular, I have been coming across um, stories about apps leading to tragic accidents, almost sometimes death. Uh, There's been, uh, I believe, uh, Apple II in the US that um, encourages people to get from one point to another uh, using your iPhone or your uh, Samsung and uh, you had to do it the fastest time on a bike and I believe that um, because of that then someone had a horrific accident on their bike and I just wondered as app developers you know where do our ethics stand how can we gauge our ethics 
have you got any guidance for us in terms of that that dilemma mm -hmm. and well, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, I, you, you can't legislate for people being idiots, I suppose. Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. you, you hear these stories of people who've driven their cars into rivers because they were blindly following the sat-nav. Um, and you sort of look at that and think, come on, you know, how, how can you be so stupid? Um, but then again, it's very easy to, you know, to say that from the perspective of, of an external, external point of reference. Um, you can be deliberately manipulative in that. Um, dark patterns. I mean, that's more of a web thing, or at least at least it's more sort of known as on the, on the web. Dark patterns. Um, the way that, for example, um, I mean, I have to be careful about naming organisations in case we get sued into a smoking hole in the ground. But there, there are certain, um, how should we say, certain low cost airlines that are notorious for their ways of getting you to accidentally spend more money than you really need to by the way that they set their sites up. Yeah. Um, I know. You know, <laughs> the £1 <laughs> flight suddenly turns into, like, you know, £100. And, uh... Exactly, exactly. And then you... you, you I, I've heard stories of, um, you know, if, if the thing to do is to make sure you always clear your cookie cash, your cookie cash before you um, check the flight again because otherwise the, the cost of the flight will go up. Those kind of things. Um, that strikes me as being something that's you know, deliberately manipulative, um, deliberately setting out to to deceive or bewilder. Um, on the other hand, that you could turn around and say, well, that's advertising. You know, that, that's that's what advertising is about. It's about manipulating you into doing something that perhaps you you, you weren't considered doing. Um, where does the it, it's it's a very grey area. This one we're into. Um, maybe maybe that's what we need. Maybe um, maybe we should. Um, Maybe ethics should be a compulsory part of your standard computer science course. You know, maybe we should, um, in the same way that you know, ethics is, is part of uh, a medical qualification, if you, you study to be a doctor, uh, at some point you're going to get confronted by these ethical dilemmas, so you get trained to do so. Um, maybe, maybe we as app developers need to start looking at that as well, because we've got so much power over people's lives with the technology that we can manipulate, um, maybe we, we have a responsibility to, to to start considering these kind of things. Yeah, that's a really good, useful point in that we almost see ourselves outside the ethic debate because that's for other industries. But as our you know industry, technology, apps, uh, really starts to merge with the likes of health. I mean, for example, there's apps that help you with your, your health, your fitness. Um, there's going to be, obviously, this year, maybe some technology that helps monitor our, our health. As I mentioned earlier, the iWatch possibly is going to be a, a health-type gadget. And we, we have... Um, we never really have this debate about ethics and technology. I can't certainly remember learning anything. or uh, so, so, yeah, it's probably a useful thing to consider. It is. It's well. We we operate in a very black and white world as software engineers. You know, it, it, things either work or they don't. It's it's ultimately it's binary, isn't it? It just comes down to things being on or off. If you, if you boil it down, um, if you boil it down far enough, um, I'm not sure that you can reduce human beings to that level of simplicity. So it's almost as if we are doomed to fail in that we think of things, as engineers, we think of things in very rigid terms, but actually our products are being used by 
people who are inherently analog in sort of the, these strange biological creatures that that, um, that that don't ask don't act in any sort of rational way most of the time um, and this sort of gap gap between the two um, it, it, it always strikes me whenever I've um, whenever I've been in a situation of watching somebody use one of the apps that I've been working on and you see them use the app in ways that you never ever anticipated them doing and sometimes you look at it you think why on earth are you doing it that way you know you, you, you fall hand it over Um, and actually it just comes down to the fact that I as an app developer haven't thought widely enough about the way people might use it Um, so I I think perhaps we do we do have a responsibility to to start thinking about some of these things particularly if you're working in areas where there are these moral grey areas like drones like uh, glass like um, uh, driverless cars, for example. Um, I mean, you, you you raise a great question. You know, if if a, if a driverless car knocks somebody over, whose fault is that? Is that the person who's operating the car? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the guy who run, uh, wrote the software? Um, I don't know. Maybe soft, software ethics. Perhaps we, we 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 need to start thinking more about this. Yeah, let's just hope it doesn't come down to a bug in the software that ultimately causes. An injury that uh, I, I can't remember of any stories where an app developer has been, uh, you know, sued because of uh, negligence with uh, with an app. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> someone's going to have it, to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, you were talking. Well, we were both talking about ethics, and uh, we have to speak about Flappy Birds because uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I I don't know where I stand on this. I honestly don't know what to think. I mean, a part of me thinks. Well, just it's so great that this guy um, closed it down, pulled it off the the app stores, um, the Google and the Apple. He must have um, he must have chosen to do that because he pulled them off the both of them rather than getting banned off both of them. I can't imagine that would have happened. And I just want to feel that he did it for the right reasons. Um, but what what's your view on uh, the Flappy Bird story? I I actually feel quite sorry for the guy. Um... I mean, I, it it must be a little bit like having your life splashed all over the tabloids. Um, I mean, p- personally, I, I, that, the, the idea of that fills me with horror. Um, quite why anybody would, you know, actively volunteer to do something like I don't know, Big Brother or any of the, the other those kind of things. I, I just don't. I just can't comprehend that. So, I, I, as I understand it, he basically um, he basically pulled it from the app store because he was. He felt that he was under pressure from the media and he was getting death threats. I mean, that, that, how crazy is that? You know, this is, it, it, it's a game. It's a really simple game. It's a really silly game. And yet people are so wound up about it that they're sending death threats to the guy who wrote it. That, that's just crazy. So I, I actually got quite a lot of sympathy for the poor guy that, you know, he found himself in this in this situation Um expecting nothing like this so in some respects i you know fair play to him the fact that he turned around and said you know what i've had enough of this i'm just going to to shut it down that i i think that must have taken i think that must have taken quite a lot of strength of character to actually turn around and 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 say it particularly given that he was making so much money out of the ads in the game that's why i've got a problem with it is i i really do think that he was 
doing the right thing. I, I admire him for doing that. If that's the reason, you know, if six months down the line, you know, the, the maker of Flappy Birds has now the follow-up game and, and that's another big hit. Uh, apparently, um, he didn't want to make too much money because the um, government come knocking on your door if they know that you're into some money and uh, effectively uh, <laughs> try and see if they can take as much of that off you as they can. So, um, you know, I just I thought it'd be interesting given that we're talking about ethics and, and he, he clearly at the moment seems to be a developer who has got a, a high regard to ethics and, and shies away from the limelight and doesn't do things just for money. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's it's nice to see that there are some people out there who, who still do that. Um, I mean, it, it would be an interesting question. I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm not sure what my reaction would be in a similar situation if I was watching that kind of money piled up. Would I would I take the same? Would I make the same decision? Um, it's. Um, I, I suppose the question is, of course, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Flappy birds is. is it's a short term thing. It's not going to, you know, it's, it's hot today. It'll, it will have, it would have died a death, um, naturally anyway, after a period of time and the next thing comes along. Um, what's interesting about this one is that I'm not sure there's any, I'm not sure there's any good reason why it took off the way it did. I can't think, I, I can't see anything about the game itself that would cause that to be the case. It just seemed to be one of those weird natural phenomena that every so often happen with, with no rhyme or reason whatsoever. I don't know. I, I can't see any reason for it. Can you, can you see why, why, why it would have been so popular? I mean, that is the beautiful thing about this viral world that we live in, is that, I, honestly, all these viral things that happen, Gangnam style, I mean... <laughs> oh, what is that all about? I just, I'm sorry, I... I I'm clearly missing the, the mental circuitry that allows me to make sense of that. In a way, that's beautiful because you just cannot bottle up what it takes for something to go viral because there's no way on this world that you would have predicted that a game called Flappy Birds and how rubbish it was, I mean, I've seen screenshots, that that would have gone so viral. So, you know, it did. And uh, it's, it's just something maybe afterward you can you can pick it apart and, and say maybe this is why but uh, you know as, it, as app developers we just cannot bottle this this viral world that we live in and, <laughs> and try and recreate these things all the time it, it just always shocks me I, and i think it's desperately sad when when people try to do that i mean you, you often find that with big brands you know it's, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure right now in a marketing agency someone is frantically trying to figure out a way of jumping on the flappy birds bandwagon and and you know sort of get some get some marketing uh, get some marketing effort out of it um and a lot of the time when you see those kind of things, it's just so obviously forced and so obviously artificial that, that, that actually you know, being viral is, seems to be quite a difficult thing to, to, to do um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're too cynical about it. Um, I don't know. It, it, what fascinates me is that the, apparently the largest selling, um, the, the biggest selling app right now is a Flappy Bird clone. Uh, that's based on Miley Cyrus. So there's two totally inexplicable phenomena, you know, Flappy Birds and Miley Cyrus together, just doubly inexplicable. I have not faintest clue um, what, what all of those are all about. Um, <laughs> how long is it going to be before that gets dis- that get disappears under a, uh, after a cease and desist order, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, Tim, is there any other things you'd like to bring out? We've covered a, a very wide range of uh, topics here. Clearly, it's <laughs> it's just a it's a kind of episode where we, we could go on. And we have to be mindful yeah. of the fact that people have to listen to this. Yes, yeah, so I, I feel but, feel a little bit like we're we're, we're turning into the, um, the the two old guys from the Muppet Show and sort of <laughs> <laughs> sitting up in our yeah. box. <laughs> Casting yeah. storm down on the rest of the industry. It's, it's <laughs> so, so what, what's the takeaway from this episode? What, from all the things we've spoken about, should we be excited for the future? Or should we be worried? What, what, what's, what's the takeaway? Oh, I, I think we can still be excited. I, I think it would be sad if we if we can't. Um, maybe we just have to think a little bit harder about the consequences. You know, just 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 maybe think the next step ahead. Um, sometimes and think about you know some of the, some of the, some of the possible negative um, consequences of what we're doing. Um, I mean, as art developers, it, it's it, it's kind of difficult to do that because very often we're working in a very very small things. You know, with it, it, unless you're coming up with the next flappy birds, of course. Um, you know, if you, maybe if you are the, the, the Google Glass product manager, um, you know, you just need to think a little bit harder about the, um, the consequences of what you're doing and just, just not get too seduced by the, the, the flashing lights and the, 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 the glamour of the technology. Is, is, that, um, it's, it's, is, that, is that too much of a simplification? No, I think that's it. And I also feel like um, with the years of... Uh, Smartphones, uh, they're very much the mainstream now. Uh, I do feel that as, you know, technologists and app developers were looking for the next thing. And you know, we've probably done as much as we can on um, the uh, smartphones as they exist. I know, have you heard anything about Project Tango from Google? That's a new one on me. Yeah, I believe that uh, there's something on uh, YouTube um, where they're taking a phone, obviously from the, the years that they had Motorola before they sold it, and they're able to map the, uh, um, the space around you and the, you know, inside a room, and they completely, it's like a mapping thing. So uh, as far as I can tell, it, it's going to make for some really awesome apps where uh, the example I saw was um, you had to chase your phone around the room to try and catch up with a bird that's flying around, a virtual bird that's... that's uh, you know, in the in the app. Oh, that sounds like a fascinating use of technology. Yes, it's almost like then your your phone becomes a window to um, you know another world. Well, this and, is the, uh, but it's, it's a crossover with the physical world that we're living in. This is the interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, it's still um, what we're doing is still very much about this the flat two dimensional. Uh, view of the world, you know, we still, even even in the app world, we're still stuck with the old sort of paper and desktop metaphors um, of interfaces. The technology yeah. now exists to, to take it out into three dimensions. And I suspect if we were to do this in another, say we were to do this in another 10 years, I think we would look back to where we are today, and we, we'd realise that we just have absolutely no idea where it was going to go. I think it's, it's going to be so difficult to, to, to predict. Well, Tim, this has been a fascinating episode. Thanks so much for like you know just taking the time to share with with my audience and me that just your views on technology and where it's going. It, it, you know, it does make us think about uh, what we're doing 
and try to give it some broad context of, of where it's actually going and, and the ethics behind what we're doing in our everyday life and uh, for, you know hopefully doing uh, it for the right reasons and that ultimately ends up um, you know helping the human race to move forward and and live better lives so um, yeah thank you very much for joining us um, if you want to get hold of Tim um, you go back and check uh, episode 23 is all the uh, information there uh, on uh, onemob.com forward slash the app guy just go to onemob.com and click the uh, the app guy podcast and go down to episode 21 and that's where you'll see um, Tim's uh, bio but um, Tim has any any information changed since we last spoke in terms of how to connect with you and reach out no that's all up to date um, it's a it's a nice uh, you've got a nice summary there so that's a good place to a good place to find me um, I'm easily googleable if, uh, if all else fails and I know you're great on Twitter so I'd encourage anyone listening to go right now to Twitter and do at Tim D and you'll just have um, a, a real uh, interesting um, time going through Tim's uh, excellent tweets and uh, they're always really interesting and <laughs> I'd, I'd recommend anyone doing that because uh, I, I've enjoyed going through your tweets but Tim thanks very much enjoy Zurich and uh, your work over there uh, is there any, any other anything any other parting thoughts before we say goodbye well if anybody's got to the end of this and our, our, our ramblings then um, well I do you, you, you I don't know if you have too much time on your hands but thank you for listening yeah, thank you for listening. And yeah, if there's any of the topics that we've raised and you want to reach out to, um, to me or Tim, then please do get in touch through Twitter or go to uh, the website. But Tim, thank you very much for listening, it's, um, for joining me. It's uh, you know, been great. And uh, if um, you know, we get to another, um, uh, maybe get to another part of the show where we need another um, d- discussion with you on some extra topics and we know where to come. But in the meantime, just leaves me to say goodbye and uh, have, a, have a good evening. Thanks very much, Paul. And you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays.